Welcome everybody to the Gameology Podcast, episode 17, all about narrative. I am one of your hosts, Matthew. And I am Attila Gabriel Brunieski of Bluish Green Productions. And Gabriel was interested. He was saying before the show, you were thinking, uh, what exactly is, ne- I mean, such an open form. You said it was nebulous. And what does that mean? And I was thinking about it. Narrative to me is, is the story in the, in the simplest terms, but it's character. There's environmental storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times, and I think this is what video games do best, is the, the narrative that comes from, from the actual gameplay. I mean, if, to use sports as an example, when two teams meet and play a best of seven uh, playoff, um, the stories will emerge from that. And no one's telling you the story. There's just actions that are happening on the field. And I mean, you see things like that. Uh, I mean, obviously in sports games, uh, in a game like XCOM is going to have actions that are happening that are telling your story the characters that die in my game are going to be different from the ones in yours. So, Attila, why don't you give me sort of a general overview of what you're thinking for narrative? So, in, in discussing narrative, I mean, you brought up a lot of the points already. Just uh, I wanted to touch upon specifically how does um, narrative differ as it's expressed in games from how it's expressed in other mediums? And you, you really touched upon um, one of the, the, the key things is, like, the way the player, like, acts in the game... Um, can create uh, a narrative that was not necessarily written from the beginning. And that's because, uh, as compared against other forms of medium, games are an interactive medium. So the player's choices are going to have an impact on the, you know, what's going to happen in the game. That's right. Um, I mean, if we look back at sort of the history of the narrative in games, uh, games when we had Pong and we had Galaga, Space Invaders, everything was very generic. There wasn't even a name of your ship or who the enemies were really. Uh, you didn't look into it. It was more just objects on the screen that vaguely resembled ships or aliens, and it was about shooting them before they shot you. I think where it really started coming out um, was with Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was a villain with a name and a personality. He stole a princess, and Jumpman, later to be called Mario, was out there to get him. And we started seeing some storytelling emerge there. It was much like the the guy in the black hat taking uh, a damsel in distress and tying her to, you know, railroad track. Um, we started seeing... It was based off Popeye, you know that, right? Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and as, as we evolved from there to have Mario... Uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers, same sort of concept, but fleshing it out a bit more, and Zelda having a bit more story involved. But you look at Zelda, and it was, even though it was a very, very large game, and there was a lot to do, and there was a little bit of text here and there, it was still mainly made up of your, your feeling like you're on an adventure. The story was, yeah, to find these three pieces and put them together, or how many pieces, but a lot of it had to do with more of your adventures in a dungeon or throughout. Like how much of the game story was told in the manual versus how much of it the story was like actually in the game. That's right. And like technology has had a huge, a huge part to do with it. Whereas just like you mentioned perfectly with that 8-bit, 16-bit era, even a lot of it was told in these manuals. And then when CDs started coming out, there was so much more room. I mean, mm. you went from having... Um, just a few megabytes on a small cartridge to 680 megabytes on a CD. And you saw game makers, how do we fill up the space? And we started seeing a lot more cutscenes. We saw actors. We saw... Glorious FMVs. Oh, my God. That small, like, 240p window. Full motion video for the uh, uninitiated. Yeah, and that's... I mean, it was impressive in a way at the time. It was really clunkily done. 
um i I found it worked really well with like anime could they have just gotten some better actors maybe that would have solved a lot of the problems you know you see a lot of that in games sometimes where it feels like uh who who's gonna do the music for this game oh yeah bill he plays a bit of guitar when he's not coding Mm. games and that seems like who became the actors for this kind of stuff pretty much and now now you see i mean i'm just uh going through sleeping dogs and they have emma stone on the cast i mean grand theft auto for the longest time has been having some really like big names mm-hmm. um as well as you know your your typical uh voice actors so um you know i want to talk about environmental storytelling mm-hmm. and i think metroid was a really great example of that mm-hmm. because it used the color palette it used one text blurb at the beginning to set up the story and then it let you discover it for yourself and even the gameplay of you figure it out yourself is part of the storytelling because i think to me that contributes like you're alone you're in this by yourself um the heroine samus is masked they say that that's a, a better way um to project yourself mm-hmm. onto the character um and even just the it had a unified theme in terms of its sound sound effects music enemies everything was just telling that story of saying you're alone this is an alien place beeps and boops and i think that was the first step that we saw in environmental storytelling yeah i mean the the main thing is like the the fact that you encountered no friendly um, characters right. in the world, it, you, you felt it like was a very alien place, a very hostile place. Um, little things that like come alive and start to attack you, it just it, you were really felt isolated. And that was like one of the main feelings that they were going for. Um, and, you know, we have some more like modern examples. I know Bioshock is a game that's really big on the environmental storytelling, you know, seeing this um a city that was once grand has now become decrepit and destroyed um but the like little bits of philosophy remain like strung up on the walls of the the famous founder andrew ryan and his ideas on objectivism and uh, a lot of like um sort of bits of dialogue that trigger as you walk past uh certain areas mm-hmm. um that like yeah fire off a little bit of audio that was pre-recorded in the game and you know, it tells a little bit of the story, explains the context of some new horrible thing that's gone wrong in that world. Yeah, those audio logs, uh, they can definitely be overused and abused. But w- the one thing I really like about them in terms of storytelling is that they don't force you to stop playing mm-hmm. and watch a little movie. And I think that was one of the greatest advancements in Metal Gear Solid Five was that from Metal Gear Solid Four, which many criticize as more more watching and playing, 30-minute cutscenes, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit excessive. Um but with Metal Gear Solid Five, a lot of it was told through audio only. These little tape cassettes that you would pick up in in an open world sandbox game, not losing the momentum, I think is uh, was pretty smart. I think just in any game in general, not not losing the momentum is important. Like sure. because games are interactive, you the player never wants to sit down for an extended period of time and just watch something happen. They want to participate. They want to like make their opinion voiced. I, I honestly think that if you have two different kinds of cutscenes, one in which the characters are speaking at the player and then the character responds and whatever. And then one in which the player actually has to press a button to advance the dialogue. The one where the player at least has to press the button is actually a bit better just because there's at least some input there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if, if the player can um, do a better, there's, there's a better way of doing it, obviously like giving the, the player the actual ability to express themselves, like have them insert a line of dialogue in response to what a character said. Yeah. Um, even if that just changes one sort of following line of dialogue, like a reactionary line of dialogue to what the character says, it at least feels like you're more 
um, acting in the cutscene rather than just watching something happen. Suddenly you go from having a, you know, 20 minute cutscene where you're just kind of siddling, <laughs> sitting, twiddling your thumbs um, to a scene where you're actually invested in what's happening because you get to express yourself within the narrative of the game. And that doesn't mean we have to go all over the place and have a huge branching storyline. You can have um, player B say a bunch of things to your character, and mm. then you can respond in a couple different ways. And you can even have the continuing dialogue after that from player B again, or NPC B, mm -hmm. to be the same. It just gives you a different way to react to it, even if you're not actually making any real game virtual world changes. Yeah. Just, just choosing how your character would react. A lot of the Nintendo games are doing that nowadays. Like, I'm just playing through uh, Skyward Sword, and you're having this instance of, like, you'll get into a conversation with a character and then you have like one of two or three dialogue options and it has absolutely no bearing on the gameplay but it does um like it makes you feel like well at least you know that's what i would have said in this circumstance you know you you get to feel like you expressed yourself and you know the the more that um the game sort of reacts to the player's choices the more that the player feels that they're invested in the narrative yeah, and that's something that we've seen with RPGs um, coming out as... And something I've seen in the evolution of games is uh, basically putting a bit of story before the action. Metroid mm -hmm. had the blurb and then the rest of the game. Yeah. Then it evolved to having maybe a cutscene in between the action, sort of mm -hmm. sandwiching all of that. And I think where why a game like Half-Life was so impressive and Portal later oh, yeah. on was that... that the storytelling, you were involved in it, you were choosing who you're going up and talking to, and it was so environmental. If if you, the way they use the surround sound of the audio, so if you heard someone talking to you and it was distant, you'd want to walk over and engage and, and do, you know, silly video game things like run around the characters as much as you can. But that balance, I think, is is really important. Um, and I think that the, one of the problems with FMV and using real actors was mm. it was very jarring Yeah, to see somebody real and then go um, right back to the game world. So to have that done in game, mm -hmm. like Half-Life did, was pretty smart. I think uh, just a lot of people have regarded um, Valve's use of that sort of, like they're, they're never quite cutscenes because they never take control away from the player. And I think a lot of people have praised Valve as like, oh, this is the best way of doing like cutscene narrative dialogue conveyance in a game just because if the player always has control they always can choose where to look now the funny thing is it's very true but you'll notice they do a lot of tricks a lot of um dialogue stabs are uh, stabs like short lines or whatever are given to the players as they board an elevator or they're going through a tube or something where they can choose where they want to look but they effectively don't have any real control so it feels more immersive and that's you know it's catering to that like feeling of never lost never losing control of the character um but it's never actually sort of um or rather it's still relying on these moments where the player um you know you, you mentioned like running up and like running in circles around the character where doing that would actually break the narrative like they never give the player so much power as they would actually screw something up right. in the story that they're trying to tell it's a very controlled story and a very well-written story so I think that Valve has done a fantastic job at finding um, a solution to like sort of giving players the ability to remain in control of their characters. But I think it's I think we're going to see some interesting evolutions of that as time goes forward and technology becomes more powerful. Yeah, we started seeing that um, Uncharted has always done a really good job of of having this sort of banter in between mm -hmm. of what's going on, and uh, we saw some 
I mean, Naughty Dog is just are the king and queens of uh, having 30 times more animations and, and lines of dialogue than anybody could really sink the kind of money and budget into so that, you know, they'll have 50 reload animations to make sure it doesn't get old. And mm-hmm. when you're driving around in a Jeep and Uncharted 4, they you have to build in that if the character just stops and someone's telling a story and you like get into a gunfight or something, mm-hmm. you need to you need to have an exit out of that vocal stab or out of that vocal banter. So it doesn't sound ridiculous. So they're not being like, and then my mom was telling me as they're shooting guys yeah. in the head with a machine gun and then have that pickup of like, Oh, where were we? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. You won't, you don't want to break the immersion of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it's, it's actually something that is going to be quite natural because just as narrative has like rising moments of interest and lulls, so it is the action in your game. And if you can get those kind of like peaks and valleys to overlap where you have a lull in action, but a rise in story, then you can fill the sort of quieter moments of your game with the, um, these more like intensely narrative moments, then give the narrative a rest a bit, let the action or control come back to the player. And that way you always keep the player engaged in a different way, but you're never exhausting the player with action. You're never binding them in place and for like half an hour with a story. Yeah, we saw that a lot, uh, actually, in the latest Uncharted. And also, Naughty Dog, I think, really nailed that with The Last of Us, mm-hmm. where it would be, the action was was really tense and dark, and it was always in buildings, and it was against these zombies. And then in between that, it would be walking outside, it would be yeah. green, it was lush, and you allowed that banter as you slowly, you know, made your way along. Even some simple puzzles that you're, like, solving with, um, with Ellie, and you're just having a, an idle conversation with her, while you're doing something that doesn't require all of your mental focus. Right. So you can, you can still like hear the characters converse while you're walking around and accomplishing things. You can still yeah. move from point A to point B and accomplish things while the story is taking place. It's just the, sorry, keep cutting you off. It's just the, it's specifically like the gunfights that would actually bring the conversation to a screeching halt. And that's why you try to structure around that. Yeah. It's basically virtual bonding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's doing it, taking a task. Like you said, it's, helping ellie um climb something with a ladder it's not a puzzle that makes you sit down get frustrated and look up a walkthrough mm-hmm. it's just sort of that brainless step but it's a good time to put in the banter because the players have to be close together mm-hmm. i mean it's this it's a bit of a magic act you know you don't want to let people sort of in on the secret enough um you know then we have telltale games mm-hmm. and they really stormed in with uh with the walking dead season one everybody was going crazy for all of this choice um, and then in the end, it was revealed that it was much more of a diamond pattern where it was a lot of choice leading out to the middle, but you're going to start and end in the same place. And some of these choices were very black and white, or if not black and white, very obvious. It was mm-hmm. like, do you want to save this person's life or Why save not? this person's life? And, you know, that was as much as they could do. And I think we'd like to see that be a bit more uh, refined. I know personally... That was a great one because it wasn't a necessarily good or bad one. I think mm-hmm. that is perfect. You want to have that gray area. I mean, we I think we saw with Mass Effect, it got a little tiring to be oh, to be automatically a paragon or automatically a renegade. And what what constricted that even more was that the experience points were based on how how extreme you were one or the yeah. other ways. So you were being punished by not being extreme right or left wing, which I think is a, a bit of a problem. It's okay to have good options and evil options, but in the end. Uh, no one really thinks they're evil, mm-hmm. you know, every, and that's, that's what makes the best villains are people that seem justified. Yeah. I mean, and that, or you don't mind acting evil in the context of a game or you don't, um, even if you would naturally be inclined to do the more quote unquote evil thing, 
you just don't do that in the course of the game because you want the good reward or whatever. I think very rarely do people actually behave, you know, according to their true nature when the game or someone else is judging them. Right. And I mean, you can kind of act on your own. Maybe you're going by your true nature or you just want to role play. Mm -hmm. You know, you've designed a character and you're like, this is what uh, Thomas Edison would do. Like you would do often in a Dungeons and Dragons type game. For sure. Um, You know, around 2008, now that we're talking about some more modern games, this is the first year that video games surpassed the film industry in total revenue. And I was looking at the games that came out that year, and it was GTA 4, Fallout mm-hmm. 3, Dead Space, Metal Gear Solid 4, Fable 2, a WoW expansion, even Resistance 2, which is a very story-heavy shooter, as compared to, say, Killzone or, mm-hmm. or Call of Duty, and Braid. Now, Braid is a, a very retro-ish in that it's a 2D platformer, but it has a lot of deep story elements, mm-hmm. big twists, you know, a grand ending that we didn't really see in older platformers. And I thought that that was very telling that these huge story-based games were um, maybe what we're bringing people into it. I think I see video games evolve in a way where when they first come out, it's just for uh, kids maybe. And then as it grows up and you start having voice acting, you start telling real stories, I think it brings more people in. And as, as narrative is more gripping and more accessible to mm-hmm. people that aren't maybe familiar with D&D and using your imagination, yeah. I think that's what's going to continue to bring more people in. Yeah, I think that the the scope of the narratives that we're going to be able to like convey in games are going to continue to become more and more elaborate. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that they should always be more and more elaborate. Like we we you have to always consider that just because you have you're finally able to get like a professional writer on staff, again, the player never wants to be stuck in one place for such an extended period of time. I think one of the greatest things I saw Dark Souls do is that it's a game that when you, uh, I should just say, when you talk to the average like non-playable character in a game, they tend to have like one bit of dialogue that's probably kind of tutorial-esque. Like in Pokemon games, you just you walk up to someone that's like in the first town and they tell you, "Oh, throw Pokeballs at Pokemon to catch them," and then you know, okay, that's that's useful information to the player. But how often would you go up to a real human being and they would just like? tell you how to do something it's just it's not very realistic they feel like employees of the game yeah exactly and then what uh what dark souls does in contrast to that is when you talk to a character they'll say something they'll usually proceed it with a laugh because dark souls um and they have this one line of dialogue and then you can stop right there you can walk away from them whatever or you can keep talking to them you can like initiate an actual conversation with this um whoever the character happens to be and sometimes talking to people multiple times gives them like they'll actually say oh i'm actually a vendor you want to buy something or they'll like give you an item or give you a quest um or you know maybe you can screw things up and make them hostile towards you but um yeah it's just the 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 way that they break that up i think is really a, a clever way of doing it because then if the character, if the player becomes interested in the character that they're speaking to, it is their choice to stand there and continue talking to Dar- the uh, the NPC, the non-playable character. Um, where, but they, they can also like break away at any time. And I think the other thing that they do really well is in these conversations, line by line, you can press a button to skip through them. So like if if you accidentally trip the di- line of dialogue you've already heard. You know, there's only a finite number of things that this character can say. If they start looping back on something they've already said, you can just skip past it. Um, so that that is just another another big concept, right? In a lot of 
uh, games. It's not not only how is the narrative conveyed, but do you give the player the option to skip their narrative? Right, because in a way, they're almost like signposts, and the signpost is always going to be there with that information. But we'll get to that on the next episode of Meaningful Choice, is that you're sort of gamifying this uh, conversation. And that's what a game needs is to, is to be engaging. Should I keep going? Oh, look, I just discovered in that reward you get for figuring, figuring out that this guy was actually uh, a store after all, we're, we've seen a huge rise in, in full on narrative games. Um, I mean, that wasn't, they're not new. There were text adventures, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throughout the eighties and maybe even earlier than that, uh, that were purely zero graphics and they were only text. And it, um, it was like a story, but you had choices, and uh, and those choices could give you success or failure. And that has that sort of like latched on with games, with um, the first JRPGs, you know, Final Fantasy, Dragon Heroes, Dragon Quest, um, and then attaching systems along to that. A lot of text, a lot of reading. But now we're seeing games like Gone Home, Stanley Parable, mm-hmm. Beginner's Guide, Eighty Days, games that. If if most games are that gameplay is priority number one and controlling your character and doing actions and then stories the second one, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's environmental storytelling, whatever, these games I would say are above that, where the story is what people are going to the game for and they'll forgive maybe poor control. A game like The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. in terms of actual gameplay mechanics, I would say is is obviously secondary to the narrative. So, um, and it looks like that's growing. And continuing, and I've had some of my best experiences with a game like Firewatch, which is all about the story and how you interact with it. A lot of walking around, a lot of enjoying the vibe and the environment of it, and choosing different uh, conversation choices uh, along the way that you go. Yeah, I, I think that um, like as you sort of break it into those two categories of like games that plays gameplay above story and games that plays story above gameplay, I think you're sort of going to naturally run into the problem of like anytime a game that places um gameplay over story um as in the case of let's say like a Mega Man game you don't really care about the story you just want to sort of like skip right to the gameplay but if players just all want to skip like every bit of dialogue that ever happens then they're going through the whole story without context so it becomes a real battle to draw in the player's interest to the point where it's like no, like, here's your motivation. This is why you're doing this. And it's like, we get that the game is fun. We get that they want to play the game for the sake of playing it. But sometimes these, um, like, bits of narrative that happen between the moments of action actually give you context to what you're doing, give you an idea of where you should go next. And it's, like I said, it's a, it's a real struggle to keep players enticed enough that they, they want to participate in the narrative. They don't just want to skip past it and get to the gameplay. I mean, I'd group Mega Man there with, say, Metroid or Mario in terms... Definitely with Metroid that it's, if, if Metroid is an atmospheric, dark environmental storytelling, mm. Mega Man is like summer blockbuster action movie environmental storytelling where you go to a Mike, you know, if you're a big fan of Michael Bay movies, you just go and you want to see loud explosions and like Mega Man is like, it's got a driving soundtrack. You're going to kill bosses. Mm-hmm. You don't know why. I guess they're evil. It's, I don't even know what year it is. It's in the year 20 XX or whatever AD. So it's. I think they can get away with that, but I mean, Mega Man was such a perfect execution of mechanics. Yeah, where well, they can they, they can get away with they can get away with it for sure. But what I I guess what I'm kind of driving at almost is like where a game places gameplay above story, mm. and it's almost like expected that the player is going to skip the story. Do you just not bother telling one? Do you put that in there just so that for like the few people who don't skip it, how much effort do you actually is worth investing in the story that? majority of players are actually going to skip 
I'd say if you've played any of the later Mega Man games that get a little crazy with the storytelling, mm-hmm. constant stopping and text boxes yeah. up, I would say you'd want to err on the side of just very little, you mm-hmm. know, just as much as Mario had motivation that the princess was in the next castle. So keep yeah. going. That's about all you really need. And in that sense, I totally agree. Like you can, you can always err on the side of caution if you want to include some dialogue, you know, keep it to like a couple lines at minimum, um, have things that don't stop the player, have things that don't halt them. Right. Um, really try to be aware of the fact that the player wants to keep going. And even if you have some moments of like relatively simple gameplay that occur while characters are speaking like to the main character, um, that can also be a way to just sort of keep things moving because then at the very least the the player is given some um some motivation beyond, like I said, beyond just the um sort of bare minimum of you know, it's great that you want to play the game and all, but have some actual reason for doing so. Um, and then just, just before we wrap up, I just want to look at perhaps um, one more, yeah, one, one last thing I had written down here, just the, the idea of the, the voiceover, just because that is, that is one thing that, you know, we, we kind of talked earlier about the, like the audio logs that you pick up, but in terms of like the actual um like bastion you ever seen like the the very famous like narrator in bastion right just the the way that like they they narrate what the character is doing and then that's sort of matched well with when there's a moment of quiet then the narrator is giving more story and exposition versus when there's a lot of action happening the narrator kind of quiets down or delivers a line after the enemies have died immediately or like when the player has died or is otherwise incapacitated Know, they're not um, the player i think i think it's actually one of the issues that's faced in that game is that it can get a bit distracting when you're you're trying to focus on the gameplay which is it's a very demanding like execution challenge based game um you're probably just going to tune out the story in some moments so i think that's one of the kind of inherent problems with having a voiceover which isn't like strictly clamped down to moments of a lull in the game but it, again, there are so many interesting narrative challenges in games that it is so specific as to the kind of game you're trying to make, the kind of story you're trying to tell. Um, we, we can only advise, or I can only advise certain things that, in my opinion, I think are what I would consider to be best practices in terms of never keeping the player locked down for too long because this is an interactive medium and you need to respect the player's want to interact with the game. Well, there you go. Those episodes, episode 17 on narrative. You can listen to this on iTunes, audio versions. Uh, it's called Gameology. You can check it out on YouTube at the 90s Kid YouTube channel. It's also called Gameology there. You can find me on Twitter at GameThingTalk. And Attila? You can follow me on Twitter at BlueScreenPro or check out my website where I post my extended thoughts on every week's show. You can also read my articles on Gamma Sutra. Or if you'd like to submit comments or questions you would like to have read out or answered on the show, you can do that also on my website at BlueScreenProductions.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.